Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio Hey everybody! Normally, normally on the show we do uh, we do a little podcast. We talk about British films, but this week I am away. Yes, yeah. you will hear my voice right now, and I'm here right now recording it. But when this airs, I will be away because I am moving. Yes, Actually, yes. And next week, when you hear me, I might sound even sexier because I'm going to be in a new location, a new room. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of fun. Folks, Brendan brought a, bought a house at the worst possible time. I brought a house to the studio. Brought a house to the studio. <laughs> and I'm going to live in it. the worst possible time. Yeah, the economy is in the dump. and it, Well, the economy is in the dumper. And, the dumper, uh, that's right. And <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, putting my money out there in the world. That's right. You're a good man, Brendan. You're a good man for supporting the world. Thanks. I just want the world to have a better world. That's right, Brendan. But why are we here right now? It, we're not doing a normal episode where we would watch a British movie, Brendan. What are we doing? Well, you are, I guess you're just going to talk at me. Um, and yes. I will interject as much as I possibly can, having literally almost zero knowledge of the subject. But you are going to talk to me about one of your favorite things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be, of course, the film Pootie Tang. So, but begin. No, Brendan. Uh, I Written put by Louis C.K., your personal hero. My personal just hero, for his, I, just for his personal uh, views on things. That guy knows how to get shit done. No, uh, Brendan. This week we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart that you have almost zero knowledge about, and that is Star Trek. Wait, now is Gene Roddenberry a British guy? No. Oh, okay. I was going to say we got it. We got. Wait, Patrick Stewart is British though. He is. He one hundred percent is. He is the British connection. We, we also have uh, uh, Siddig El Fadil, a.k.a. Alexander Siddig, who sounds quite British. Um, and and Worf. Many, many other people. And Worf. Worf, of course, is super British. See, I know <laughs> stuff. You know a little bit of stuff. So, Brendan, I want to tell you a little bit about one of my personal favorite things in the world, and that is Star Trek. And, and um, act. And act. What do you know about Star Trek, Brendan? What, what, what little bit of knowledge do you have about it? I know it was uh, a show with William Shatner. Mm-hmm. And then I know it was a show with uh, Patrick Stewart. Of course. There were some movies in there somewhere. Yep, there were it, for sure. It was a show with Captain Janeway. There was, yes. It, it, it was a show with Scott Bakula. Absolutely, there was. Uh, whoever was on Deep Space Nine. Uh, that would be Avery Brooks. There was a there was a, a bunch of newer movies, which I didn't actually uh, watch the first two. Oh, dude, I think you I watched watch the third one. I don't know. I, I don't know. I watched two of them, and I enjoyed them very much. You should watch the third one. It's the best. Um, uh, but I liked them a lot. And but, uh, I the, what I will admit right now, Jason, and I know uh, this may not be a popular thing to say, 
but I've seen a little bit of the of well probably more like next generation because that's what my stepdad watched most of the time and based on what i've seen i wasn't blown away Mm -hmm. um but i i don't know i i don't don't know you this is your job jason to make this clear for me clear my path so what we are going to do today brendan is i'm going to tell you a little bit about the star trek franchise and this is this is the first episode the first mini-sode if you will uh that we will talk about this but i'm going to be a little general today i just want to explain this to brendan and to you the listener and if you're a star trek fan this is old hat for you so don't worry about it if you're if you're a hardcore star trek fan like i am don't worry about it but if you're uh, a curious listen in and we're gonna no, talk but you about know what uh, i should add if you're a star trek fan please still listen <laughs> please still listen i mean we, we at least download the episode you don't listen to it just download it just give us ask. those clicks, baby. Um, J- so now, Jason, go ahead and mansplain Star Trek. I'm going to mansplain Star Trek to you, Brendan. Just let me spread my legs here. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, Star Trek. Star Trek was created by Gene Roddenberry. Now, Gene Roddenberry in an alternate universe has a uh, religious cult uh, because uh, uh, in an alternate universe, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was the guy that went on to make a successful science fiction television series. But in our reality, that didn't happen. So he had to make a cult. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was like, he was in the military like Ron Hubbard, although he had a much better, uh, 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 time there. I think a much more, uh, uh, exemplary time. He did crash some, but you know, pilots, they crash. Anyways, Gene Roddenberry eventually got into writing TV and he wrote a show called Lieutenant, which was about police and about, he, he was trying to wrestle with a lot of like, kind of like progressive storylines about racial injustice and things like that. And that show only lasted a year before it got canceled. So eventually he pitched a science fiction television show to NBC that he described as Wagon Train to the Stars. Now, Wagon Train was a, a Western show about a group of people that were kind of like working their way west and going to settle. And that's how he pitched this show to NBC, where it was about a, uh, a spaceship that had a bunch of people on it, and they were going out and exploring in, in the universe. And in 1964, they gave him the okay. He made a pilot for the show. You know what a pilot is, Brendan? I believe a pilot is defined as the first episode of something. And if it goes well, more episodes come out. Smart. That is usually the case. So usually you make a pilot and people see it and they decide, do we want the show? Do we not want the show? Star Trek was a weird situation. They made this uh, pilot for the show called The Cage. They cast Jeffrey Hunter as Captain Pike. They cast Leonard Nimoy as uh, uh, Mr. Spock. Uh, and they got all these different actors together and they made this show. And NBC at the time saw the show and said, okay, we kind of like what you're going for, but it's a little too brainy. A little too cerebral for the dumb fucks that exist in America here in 1964. So you need to. Well, well, Jason, they all they uh, they also had to make room for their new NBC smash hit, Manimal. Manimal was coming. Very sure. There was a there was a long long period that they were getting ready for Manimal. Manimal, one of the biggest hits. I believe you could buy all point five seasons on DVD. 100%. 100%. You can find them everywhere. Uh, there's Manimal figures. People have Manimal posters on their walls. Absolutely. It was, it was Manimal fever back in the 70s. For sure. But uh, so they NBC, in a in an exceedingly strange move, especially for a show that cost as much as Star Trek, because Star Trek was an expensive show. They had to build a bunch of sets. They had to do special effects. They said to Gene Roddenberry, okay, we kind of like what you're going for, but this is too brainy for the stupid people that exist out there. So we want you to try again. But you got to get rid of one of two things. You either need to get rid of the pointy-eared alien that looks like Satan, 
because Satan has a very low uh, Q rating or you need to get rid of the lady on the bridge. So in the original pilot of Star Trek, the first officer of the Enterprise was a woman. And this was a problem because uh, they did test screenings and people and a lot of people, even women, were like, who does she think she is? So Gene Roddenberry was was presented with this and he's like, well, I guess I'm keeping Mr. Spock, the pointy eared Satan uh, guy. Mm. And that's what they did. So they made another pilot called for where no man has gone before. And NBC said, cool, we're picking you up. And Star Trek ran for two seasons from 1966 to 1968 uh, and it entertained people across the nation. But it wasn't a super successful show because they shuffled it around the schedule a lot. And a lot of modern shows have had that issue. And, and can I chime in just for a second? Because sure. I think this is something that I... I, I didn't know right away about Star Trek is that it only lasted a couple seasons. And I don't think it's something that a lot of people know, have with a passing knowledge of Star Trek realize because the original series was so uh, kind Iconic. of revered and acclaimed well, in that people just say, like, including myself, assume that it ran for 10 or 12 seasons. Yeah. No. So so what happened was it ran for two years and then NBC decided to cancel the show. But a a couple uh, headed by the lady, Bio, Joe, Bio. Bo, Bo Trimble. She was a lady who was a very big fan of Star Trek in 1968. And she kicked off a letter writing campaign to NBC to be like, we love this show. Please bring it back. And the, the insane amount of letters that came into NBC convinced them to bring it back for another season, much like a later show, Jericho. Um, Or, uh, um, I mean, even, even modern uh, Brooklyn nine, nine came back for a season with all the, all the popular requests. Absolutely. Um, so they brought them back for a third season. Unfortunately, that third season, they, they cut the budget significantly. So while the first two seasons of Star Trek have a pretty good balance of good episodes and bad episodes and mediocre episodes, the third season of Star Trek is mostly shitty episodes because uh, they didn't have a whole lot of money. And But no, don't get me wrong. There are definitely a, a few uh, good episodes in there, but the ratio is much less. So this show aired from 1966 to 1969, Brendan. And after that fact, it went into syndication uh, where it was being sold to different local TV stations. And that's where Star Trek really started to pick up steam because people were watching it. It was on, it was on everywhere. It was on whatever station wanted to purchase it. And in the early seventies, it had enough like love that there started being Star Trek conventions. So, and in the seventies, the show remained popular enough that they made an animated show. So what was really interesting, Brennan, was the philosophy going into this animated show was that they were going to take Star Trek scripts and just make them animated. Like, that was their plan. They didn't want to specifically make a children's show. They wanted to make Star Trek, and it happened to air on Saturday mornings. And so that was quite popular, and people liked it for a couple seasons. In the late 70s, there was talk of making a second Star Trek show. And there was scripts proposed from Gene Roddenberry about doing a show called Star Trek Phase 2. There's a whole story about that, folks. There's an entire book about that if you want to learn about it. But ultimately, this uh, TV show didn't go anywhere. But it transitioned into Star Trek The Motion Picture, which is the first Star Trek movie. And, and the best one. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say that Star Trek The, the Motion Picture is an interesting movie. There's a lot that is very common with a classic Star Trek episode, specifically the one with Nomad, uh, for those of you that are aware of Star Trek. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep into it for Brendan. This is a general overview. 
But Star Trek in, uh, Star Trek the motion picture was a a big budget uh, film that people enjoyed. I guess um, it's very strange, but it did eventually. It made enough money that it led to Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Now, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan is often considered the best Star Trek film, and I waver. But this is definitely in the conversation where Kirk re-encounters the character of Khan, who he had encountered in an original series episode, and they kind of play out the results of that. And that's a great movie, and that kicks off what became kind of a trilogy of Star Trek II, Star Trek III, and Star Trek IV. Star Trek II, spoiler alert, they kill Spock. Star Trek III, they go get Spock back because the Genesis planet brings them back to life. And then in Star Trek IV, they go back in time to save some whales because they need them to save the universe. Okay, dokie. Yeah, and then Star Trek V, Brendan, was a, was a weird one. Wait, that are was they the one space that, whales? They're, no, they're actual humpback whales. But in the twenty four Space humpback whales? Yes, well, no, Earth humpback whales. But in the 23rd oh. century, those whales are extinct, but they need to go back to the 20th century to get them, to specifically 1986. All right. Yeah. And then Kirk uh, at one point is walking across the street and a, and a taxi almost hits him and slams on his brakes and screams at him. And he go and calls him a dumbass. And Kirk responds with, well, double dumbass on you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sounds delightful. Yes. Uh, Star Trek five was about uh, star uh, about the enterprise going to find God in the center of the universe. And it's a weird fucking movie that William Shatner directed. And, uh, there's some good moments in it, but it's no good. Ultimately, <laughs> Star Trek Six though might be the best Star Trek movie, other than Star Trek Two. Okay, it's a wonderful allegory about the Cold War. But anyway, so we had those movies in 1987. They made a second series, Star Trek: The Next Generation, of course, with Patrick Stewart. That was about a future, a, a a subsequent Enterprise that was exploring the galaxy and doing similar things to the original series, like that. And that is kind of the classic Star Trek format, Brendan. Uh, of a vessel being out and exploring and encountering new species and exploring new civilizations and going boldly where no one has gone before. Um, Star Trek, the original series, Star Trek TNG, Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Enterprise, and um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds are very much of that ilk. But not every Star Trek was like that, Brendan. In 1993, Deep Space Nine premiered. And Deep Space Nine was a... Uh, show that was set on a space station. It was not on a ship called Enterprise, and they were in the they were near the Bajoran uh, homeworld, and there was a lot of like politics and war and everything. And eventually, the Dominion gets involved, which is a a race of people from the uh, Gamma Quadrant, which is very far away from Deep Space Nine and accessible because of a wormhole. And that was a very different show. That was much darker. It was much more political. It was much more. Um, just a oh, like very much a war show by the end of it. Mm. Um, and of course, after that, we had Star Trek Voyager, which is about a ship getting lost in the Delta Quadrant, which is very far away, and it would take them 75 years to get home. And so it's about the adventures they have while they're in this different part of the galaxy. And Star Trek Inter- what? And weirdly, it's completely in real time. Yeah, I know. It's a, it was a really long show. Really yeah. long. It's still going. We're still working on it. Still going. And then we had Star Trek Enterprise, which was a show about the founding of the Federation, Brendan. Now, is that the one with Scott Bakula? That is the one with Scott Bakula, who plays Captain Jonathan Archer of the NX-01 Enterprise of the United Earth Starfleet. Because in early in the Star Trek... So, here's a little brief overview of the timeline going into Star Trek, Brendan. Um, so, in uh, twenty, in the early 20... Or, sorry, in the early 90s, we have something called the uh, Eugenics War which lasts from 1992 to 1996. 
Khan Noonien Singh, who of course we know from Space Seed and Star Trek Two, of course, was was a genetically engineered Superman who took over a good chunk of the uh, uh, the Eastern world of India, China, Europe, or like Western, well, Eastern Europe, I suppose. Um, he had a big chunk of that, and uh, that's that eventually be turned into the Second Civil War, which is in uh, a bit that has been. Uh, Acknowledged by uh, Strange New Worlds, which is the newest show. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know the world we live in and what happens and what's going on and how people are. And we know how the Second Civil War starts. And then it eventually turns into the ultimate thing in 2026, which is World War III, which is a full-scale nuclear war that lasts for something like 30 years. And a third of the planet is killed. And by 20... What is it? 2063... Um, we're in a place where the world is kind of like recovering from this. Like the war, the war lasted till 2053. And in 2063, we have the first contact that happens. The Vulcans, if you will remember, Spock's uh, people, uh, recognize a warp signature in the Earth system, where Zephram Cochran has completed the first faster than light trip. I like how you're delivering it. all of this in William Shatner's voice. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I like to have a pregnant pause every now and then. <laughs> so the Vulcans detect this warp signature and they come down to Earth and to be like, hey, you guys have warp now, so you're cool. We're here to say hi. And for the next hundred years, the Vulcans kind of shepherd the humans along and, and introduce them to the galaxy at large, which is a dangerous place full of lots of people. And eventually we get to a point where the Federation or the humans and the Andorians and the Vulcans and the Tellarites get together and form what is known as the United Federation of Planets, which is the main organization that is throughout most of Star Trek. And that is a United Nations like assembly of different worlds and cultures and peoples that get together and form a, a kind of a unified block a mutual defense and mutual help and all that sort of thing. And, as time goes on, that, that block gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And they have to deal with external threats. Of course, you've heard of the Klingons, Brennan. I've heard of them. You have heard of them. The Klingons are a very warlike race, very strong warriors. And they get uh, into various conflicts with the Federations over the years. Um, but eventually uh, make a peace treaty in Star Trek VI after a massive uh, explosion at one of their power plants. Uh, now, which is a bit of an allegory for Chernobyl. Jason, I need to ask you this question. Sure. You speak any Klingon? A little bit. All right. Give me something in Klingon. So if you were going to meet a Klingon for the first time, if you were going to walk yeah. up to him and say hello, you wouldn't say hello. You would say, Nuchnech, which means what do you want? Uh, well, very direct. Uh, and if you were to say, uh, I want to go to the bathroom, I believe the the phrase would be, Nuchnech, And my point for this was I knew you would know some Klingon, number one. And number two, that's like the go-to Star Trek nerd joke. Is that like, I speak Klingon? Yeah, yeah. But it's a, but it is a a real constructed language that uh, Mark Okrand, who was a guy they hired for Star Trek the Motion Picture, was actually developed a syntactically correct Klingon language, and it is kind of expanded to the point where now you can get various Shakespeare plays written in Klingon, which goes back to a line in Star Trek Six where General Chang says, "You haven't read Shakespeare till you've read it in the original Klingon." But Brendan, I want to tell you, like the thing about Star Trek is that it is 
at its heart has always been sort of a moralistic story. It's, it's wrestling with the idea of progress and Star Trek since the sixties has been a very progressive show. Now, if we go back to the sixties, like we have to look at it from that perspective, the big deal was we had women on the bridge. We had, um, people of color on the bridge. And sometimes we had both at the same time, like Lieutenant Uhura, who was a black lady. Did, did Star Trek, the original series not have, if not the one of the first interracial kisses on television? I, as I understand, at least the legend goes that it was the first interracial kiss on television. And now to be fair, that take that they make, they don't actually kiss, but that's the implication. But they were trying to get, and as, as I understand, the story goes that, they, that when they were shooting that episode, they were trying to get um, a shot where he didn't kiss her and William Shatner would re- refuse to like do that. So he would just like fuck with the shot every time if they were doing a shot where he wasn't actually kissing her. And so they had to use ultimately a uh. shot of her, of him implying that he was kissing her. And, you know, William Shatner has a reputation of being a dick to work with and being a pain at sometimes. But for that, I give him credit. And uh, because that was a, a wonderful thing that he did. Yeah. And now he's just a bit of now he's just a bit of a cranky old man. But, you know. Yeah. But at its core, Brendan, Star Trek is a show about exploration. It's about seeking out new life and new civilizations and, and interacting with those and, and dealing with our own moral questions. Um, the idea being that, you know, people that are different than us are actually more like us than we think. And Hmm. the thing about watching a typical episode of even the original series or Star Trek The Next Generation is that when I watched them as a kid, Brendan, I would find that I obviously would sympathize with the crew because they were the heroes of the show. And I believe that they were correct. But going back to it as an adult, the thing is, is that they're not always necessarily correct. The arguments being made by their opponents in a given situation, whether it's diplomatic or military or whatever, are not necessarily invalid. They make they often make very good very reasoned points about their position. And that's what what's so great about Star Trek is trying to wrestle with these questions that are so, so uh, big. And it's come such a long way. I mean, I think back to the original pilot, The Cage, which, by the way, the original pilot to the Star Trek is a fantastic episode of Star Trek. It's one of the best episodes of Star Trek, bar none. And that was not what they picked up. They picked up a different show. But in that episode, there's a line where Captain Pike says to, uh, uh, I guess, everybody on the bridge, I'll never get used to the idea of having a woman on the bridge because number one was his first officer. And that was a bit lampshading at the time, but it, you know, it was pretty progressive. But we look back on it now and it feels a little like, oh, this guy. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, and there are absolutely moments in TOS like that. But the show has always been very progressive. And it's why it's so funny when you see like, I've like there's an article that popped up on Fox News recently. It was like Star Trek has gone where it's never gone before, embracing woke politics. I I saw that, and even <laughs> as someone who has a very passing knowledge of Star Trek, yeah, I knew the whole thing about Gene Roddenberry being a yeah. very progressive guy and and always pushing boundaries with that kind of stuff. So I saw that, and I said, so so nobody at Fox News has ever watched Star Trek. That's 100%. that's what I gleam from that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. It's like, guys, you've never watched the show. You've never seen that they're very moralistic and are always kind of pushing this this view. Like, come on. I mean, it's the, a very liberal. Is, it's a very liberal show at its core. Yeah. Star Trek, like the Federation, at least on Earth, I can't speak for the entire Federation, but at least on Earth, the Federation is basically a communist state at that point where people don't have to work to live. The It's a post scarcity world. And of course, in Star Trek, the magic bullet is the replicator which is a device that can break down 
constituent matter and reform it into something different. So you can basically just walk up to your replicator, order a cheeseburger, and you get it. So obviously that makes a that's the thing that allows this socialist kind of existence to to happen. Sounds like um, they've gone woke to me, Jason. Yeah, I know. And then like I hear about a guy like Ted Cruz who likes Star Trek. It's like, are you fucking stupid? Like this is not the world you clearly want to live in. Or if it is, then you're a fucking liar. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. you're a piece of shit liar. Yeah. <sighs> when well, Star it's like, Trek it's is like Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, Brandon, when Star Trek is good, it is challenging. It is exciting. It is a sublime. But when it's bad, oh boy, it's bad. Star Trek is not perfect. There are some really fucking bad episodes of Star Trek over the years. There well, is a super racist early episode of TNG called Code of Honor, where they go to this planet full of black people, and it is it doesn't come off great. <laughs> can I just can I just say too, just going back to the Ted Cruz thing for a second, it it reminds me because I'm a big you know me I'm a big Marvel guy, I'm sure. a big especially I, I'm not a comic comic book guy per se, but I'm a big Marvel films MCU yeah. kind of guy, and it just, that when you said that that kind of reminded me. I remember there was a thing recently about where Chris Evans went to the Senate because he was he was he was pushing some thing that he wanted to help get passed for, I don't know if it was for veterans or something. It was something about that. It was a good, it was a good thing he wanted to do. And he kind of took pictures with everyone. Like he didn't really, you know, he had a picture with uh, who's the, who's this Republican politician with an eye patch. Oh, uh, Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. So he had one with Dan Crenshaw, but then he also had one with Nancy Pelosi. And then he also had one with, you know, uh, whoever he took pictures of a bunch of people. And the best thing is like, so Dan Crenshaw showed him his, his, uh, his glass eye, I guess he had like a captain America kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he said like, Oh, captain America's always been my hero. I was like, then you fucking don't know anything about captain (laughs) America. Exactly. He's against, he's against Nazis. You fucking idiot. Like, I, I just, I don't, I just think he read the name Captain America and is like, oh, America, this guy stands for America. Well, clearly he wants women to keep all their children. Yeah. He wants, uh, you know, everybody to be white and homogenized. And I just, I just like, I could just imagine yeah. in Chris Evans head. He was like, oh, you don't understand anything about this. Well, it's like If you remember during the Civil War, um, Captain America was the guy that sided against the government. Right. Yeah. Like he was a guy that was trying to maintain the ideal of America in the face of authoritarianism. And uh, if you believe, so, if you like that guy, like you not understand what he's about. Like, Yeah. So I feel what you're saying about the Ted Cruz thing. Cause I've experienced that same thing with stuff that I like. Yeah. Um, and even star Wars, I mm. feel like people, uh, some people I see gripped, gripped to that, you know, you get the toxic fan stuff and I'm just yeah. like, you don't know what this is. Because Look, if, I you love... had, if you had watched it, you would yeah. know that Darth Vader and his stormtroopers is a very clear reference to Nazism. Yeah, like... it's, it's very clear reference to fascism. Those people that take the Empire too seriously, guys, they're fascists. Get over yourself. <laughs> they're evil as fuck. Regardless of how cool they are, the rebels are the ones that are trying to make a better world. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to point, yeah. shove that in there. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that what's what I love about Star Trek is that where Star Wars and, and don't get me wrong, I fucking love Star Wars too. Star Trek is my is my show. It's my like uh, the closest thing I have to a religion, really. But Star Wars is great. But like, other than Star other Wars, than Christianity, than, you, you know me, Brendan. I, I I love the Lord. I love Jesus. Um, praise him. But, praise him. But um, 
like Star Wars is very much a, an action adventure. It's it's very much derived from uh, old serials. School, uh, serials, yeah, your Flash Gordons and things of of that nature. Star Trek is a little more uh, cerebral. Like I say, they're really thinking about bigger issues in a way that something like Star Wars doesn't tackle, and that's fine. There's nothing against Star Wars. Star Wars does what it does, and I fucking love it. But um, yeah, Star Trek is trying to take a, a little more nuanced view on things. Um, and at some point, I do want to show you some episodes because uh, uh, there. That's the thing about Star Trek. There's so many great episodes. Like there are, are wonderful episodes where people interact with alien species, and you see them starting to like trying to come to agreement rather than conflict. And uh, a good example is in the original series. There's an episode called "Let There Be Your Last Battlefield," and that involves two uh, uh, species of people that have uh, half black and half white faces, and one side has the black on the left side, and one face has the black on the right side and they hate each other. And in that episode, Captain Kirk helps, you know, mediate this dispute and come to a conclusion of it. Um, you know, even in TNG, you've got episodes like, um, uh, uh, best of both worlds, which is about the invasion of the Borg, which are a, a collective hive mind, right? They are very much, they're almost like the ultimate communist race in the sense that they all think alike. They all connect to the same brain and they're invading the Federation, and the Federation is standing against them, and Captain Picard gets assimilated into the Borg and then has to be rescued, and it's such a fantastic thing. Um, you can watch, like, episodes that are, like, militaristic, like uh, um, Balance of Terror in the original series, Brendan, which is a, very much a, it's like a sub-movie, where two commanders are kind of, like, uh, uh, trying to outwit each other in a, in a battle. You can watch, uh, there's silly episodes, you know, there's episodes like uh, uh, Prophet and Lace in DS9 where Quark has to dress up as a female Ferengi uh, to uh, accomplish something or other. And then and whatever episode that The Rock was in that one time. Yes, he was in an episode of Enterprise where he played a, a guy that was in a, a, like an arena, like a fighting ring type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He fought, fought some lady. Or actually, that might have been Voyager. I think that might have been Voyager. But, I, I uh, just remember it was on after SmackDown one night, and I checked it yes. out for just for to see if I could <laughs> just see the to rock. See the rock. Yeah, yeah. But I love this show, Brendan. And in future, I want to get a little more in depth into like kind of the history of it. Um, but I just want you to know that this show has been on for fifty years now in various forms, and um, it is beloved across the world, and for good reason. Um, you you've seen the you've seen a couple of the uh, Abrams reboots, which are solid action movies. I have I have very many Star Trek issues with them, but for the most part, folks, if you've never seen a Star Trek, that's the place to start. That'll get you into the idea of it and, for and, sure. But I like I like how Jason, you now let's make let's let's really emphasize this. You enjoy those movies as great action movies, oh, and yeah. then you said you have some Star Trek issues with, oh, as opposed 100%. to as opposed to maybe someone who'd be like, "That's not my yeah. show." Yeah, because that's the thing. At the end of the day, you watch those movies; they're entertaining as hell. There's no question. You can't help but enjoy them. They're fun, and the actors yeah. are great. And and I mean, whatever whatever nerd canon questions I have, you know, whatever. If you enjoy, if you like a good movie, watch those Star Trek movies. Guys, listen to Jason. Just don't be, don't be a fucking toxic asshole. Just watch exactly. it and enjoy. And if you don't that's like right. it, that's fine. But you know what you don't have to do? Tell the actors on Twitter that they should kill themselves. Yeah, leave them alone. Carl Urban was a fantastic choice as Dr. McCoy, and I love it. And Chris oh, Pine yeah. was great. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's fantastic. He's fantastic. And, and he's, he's doing, he 
what's so great about Chris Pine in those movies, Brendan, is that he really channels the essence of James T. Kirk without just doing a straight Shatner impression. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. And that's a that's a that's a hard thing for an actor to do to take up a role as iconic as James T. Kirk, and yet he does it with such uh, aplomb. I Shatner himself, him. Shatner himself said yeah. he loved it. So, absolutely. Um, so he's a tough I guess. Critic. I, yeah. So at the end of this, I just want to tell you a little bit about the timeline. So there's a number of Star Trek shows. The the I believe the earliest Star Trek show is Star Trek Enterprise, which takes place in the 22nd century. Uh, Star Trek, the original series, Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. They, of course, take place in the 23rd century. A hundred years after that, in the 24th century, Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Deep Space Nine all take place. And then the later seasons of Star Trek Discovery actually take place about 800 years after um, Star Trek The Next Generation. So they are uh, ultimately very far in the future. And it's fun. Um so I talked about the Klingons. They're one of the major enemies of the Federation. There's also the Romulans, which are a, a spin-off race of the Vulcans that they had separated at some point. Do they also they, have the, uh, since they have Romulans, do they have Remus? They do. Yes. Uh, the Remans are a, for the Romulans essentially were a slave race that they had used for a long time in mining and doing such things. Uh, Star Trek uh, Nemesis actually uh, introduces and addresses the Remans. And unfortunately that is a terrible movie, despite starring Tom Hardy as the Praetor Shinzon. That was one of his earliest roles, Brendan. Because your favorite film is Star Trek Generations. Uh, see, that's the thing. Okay, here's the thing about Star Trek movies, is that oh. the, the, the thing goes is that the even ones are good and the odd ones are bad. And that almost always holds true. I will say the Star Trek Nemesis, which is the 10th film, is fucking terrible. And Star Trek Three, which is the third film, is actually pretty good. So those are the ones that kind of uh, stand out from that original run. Okay. Um, but even the bad Star Trek movies tend to have good moments in them. And Star Trek Generations is a movie that I do not like. I do not like uh, Kirk's fate in that movie. I do not like a bunch about it. But that is a movie that has a wonderful moment with uh, Jean-Luc Picard going through the death of his uh, brother and, and nephew. Um, that is a movie that has a great like in-universe death for Captain Kirk when he tries to save the uh, USS Enterprise B. That is a movie that features Malcolm McDowell, who I fucking adore uh, and would watch in absolutely anything, even if it was Star Trek Generations. Um, so even though I hate that movie, there is a lot to a lot to like in it as a Star Trek fan. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, so Jason does folks, it go on the list. <laughs> yes. 100%. This is the best British movie that ever existed. Star Trek as a franchise. <laughs> but uh, Brendan, so this is kind of, I just wanted to give you an overview of the series and where it came from. And in future, I want to get a little more in depth. I'll probably talk about TOS, uh, which is known as the original series. Or if you listen to Star Trek lower decks, those old scientists, Okay, perfect. Star Trek Lower Decks. I didn't mention it yet, though, folks. Star Trek Lower Decks and Star Trek Prodigy are the two animated shows. Star Trek Lower Decks being traditional two-dimensional animation and Star Trek Prodigy being 3D animation. Star Trek uh, Lower Decks is the show for the Star Trek fan. I think it's very entertaining regardless, but if you're a Star Trek fan, there is a lot in there for you, and you will enjoy it very much. Star Trek Prodigy is a show aimed primarily at young people, but it is entertaining as hell and looks great. And, and what, about, what about what about what about Picard? Okay, so Star Trek Discovery and Picard, there's a lot to like about those shows, but 
I have my issues. I think Discovery is the better of those two. Um, but and, and Star Trek Picard, especially in the second season, was much better. But uh, I don't know that those will be the place that I would recommend you start with Star Trek. Uh, honestly, if you <laughs> if, rather than those, you'd be better off starting with the Orville with uh, Seth MacFarlane, because the Orville is a better, like a more representative Star Trek show than maybe those are. But, uh, um, you know, watch TNG when it comes down to it, folks, if you're going to start with Star Trek, if you're going to start anywhere, start with the Star Trek, the next generation. If you can't bear to start at season one, start at season three, but you should, I guess, like suffer through season one and two and then season three. That's where it really takes off. So, all right, Jason. Well, what I gleaned from all this is Star Trek is woke as fuck. It is woke as fuck. Uh, it is a show that is always examining its own viewpoints and trying to be better. That's what I love about Star Trek, Brendan, is that it encourages people to be better. And that is what we need. People that want to be better people. Do you have any final notes to say about Star Trek as a whole? There's a lot I like about Star Trek, a lot of like surface stuff. I love the uniforms. I love the ships. I love the aesthetic of it all. But at its core, it is really a show that is wrestling with humanity's place in the universe. And it is something that we're going to have to deal with eventually. Like we we have no evidence so far that any other life forms exist in the universe. But the universe is a really big place. And the idea that we're alone would be so fucking arrogant. And we can't assume that. So watching a show like this, I think helps prepare us somewhat for the future. And the idea that we're going to meet people that are very different than us. But ultimately, I think it's going to be good for the whole. If we can interact with other species and and, and people and, and learn from them and make ourselves better. Like that's what Star Trek is ultimately promoting to me. And it's it's a better thing than fucking religion or or anything else like i know it's a tv show and i get it it's a tv show at the end of the day what the hell is a what does it matter about a tv show but this has has given me so much more positivity and inspiration in my life than just about anything else and i highly recommend it and suggest that you check it out and uh if you don't like it well that's okay that's okay guys all right well jason on that note, I will just say um, follow Jason on Twitter. He talks about Star Trek there sometimes. Yeah, please, please come over and talk to me about Star Trek. I would love to talk about it. As a Star Trek fan, ultimately, I want all conversations to eventually turn to Star Trek. So if you come over and talk about it, that would be wonderful. So follow me at Jason D. McLeod. That is M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And tell me what you think of Star Trek. Much like the meme that Jason posted on his Twitter uh, recently, uh, every conversation is secretly carrying a tr- is secretly a Trojan horse with Star Trek uh, conversations mm-hmm. hidden inside. Yes. Trust me, I have known the man for God. How long have we known each other, Jason? Christ, it's probably years. been 15, 15, fourteen or fifteen years so far. Yeah. Fourteen to fifteen years, and trust me, it, it's true. He, it's true. He sneaks he sneaks it in there, and uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, we'll be back next week. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about movies like we usually do um and we will uh we will talk about uh, mr turner next week so be sure to come back for that and again um when you hear part of that episode i may be in a different location i don't know how calendars work but um mark my words that as you hear this i am currently in a different location
So, Jason, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Beam me up, Scotty. He tasks me. He tasks me, and I shall have him. I'll chase him round the moons of Nebia, and round the Antares maelstrom, and round the Perdition's flame before I'll give him.